What's up, Yankee fans? We are back with another episode of Yankee Crazy Podcast. And on today's show, we've got a special treat for you. We got to sit down with Yes Analyst Jack Curry, guy who has won Emmys. He has written books with Derek Jeter and David Cohn. And most importantly, super nice guy. He gave us 45 minutes. It started out as setting up this interview at about 20 to 25 minutes. Guy goes for 45 minutes. Forever grateful for him for doing that. And lots of great stuff. Getting to know a little bit more about Jack. Talking a little bit about music. And even an Eddie Vedder story, which was amazing. So check it out, guys. Hope you enjoy. And let's go Yankees. Jack! Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you coming on the show with us. Hey, Greg, it's good to be with you. Happy to talk some Yankee baseball. Yes, yes, that is what we love to do. And, you know, everybody, you know, every Yankee fan knows you and probably you uh, transcend even the Yankees all through baseball, um, you know, to give a little background of Jack, just so everyone knows, some people might not know this, um, award-winning sports journalist. Uh, he's the analyst, as you know, as everyone knows, for the Yes Network, does pregame and postgame, does so, all these really cool interviews, and has won four Emmy Awards as part of Yes's coverage. And before joining Yes, you did 20 seasons for the New York Times as Yankees beat writer and national baseball correspondent. Uh, and also, if that's not amazing enough, you co-authored Derek Jeter's book, The Life You Imagine, and the amazing book. The, that book, you know, the Jeter book's amazing too, but I am actually almost at the end of Full Count, which is just a really phenomenal book. I, I, I just love it. I just really, really love it. So, Jack, one thing, talking about all that stuff that I would love you to uh, start with, uh, is your origin story. Like, how did you, and that's open for interpretation, how did you get into sports? How did you get into journalism? Um, anything that you can share about that? It's a, it's a great question, Greg. I, I fell in love with baseball because I had an older brother, a couple years older than me, and you want to do what your older brother was doing. So when I'm <laughs> right. four, five, six years old and he's out on the, streets i grew up in jersey city new jersey so it, it's a street it's it's i mean it's a it's a city street it's yeah parking houses on top of one another and we would go out and play so my love of baseball started there and my love of journalism started at a young age too i guess the story that i'm fond of telling people is in the seventh grade i went to an english teacher and i said how come we don't have a school newspaper oh, and wow. god bless this english teacher because he said do you want to start one i wow. said sure I, I would love to and I can tell you, Greg, that I still remember when this, and this newspaper, by the way, when I'm saying newspaper, it was a, a sheet of copy paper, 18 <laughs> by 11, that we call the newspaper. But when that was distributed throughout the school and I had written all the articles and people nice. were reacting to what I had written, yeah, that, that adrenaline rush and that feeling of accomplishment is, is something that uh, I just couldn't describe it. So I harbored the idea of being a baseball player, but that vanished after high school and I went to Fordham University and right. decided I'm going to be a sports journalist. So I 
worked for the school newspaper. I worked for the school radio station, worked with a lot of talented people there. And Fordham has kind of been a pipeline for producing broadcasters. And yeah. I started out as a sports writer because I always thought I was a better writer than broadcaster. And I had a really nice career at the New York Times and thought I would stay there until I finished working and then retire someday. But yeah. life has its twists and turns. <laughs> and I ended up getting into the TV side with Yes. And I absolutely love what I do at Yes. I, I'm fond of telling people I've really had two dream jobs, a baseball writer for the New York Times and now a baseball writer for the uh, baseball announcer for the Yes Network. Yeah, that is that is amazing. Yeah, two two just like powerhouse uh, companies and affiliations. It's it's really amazing. That I love that story. Um, did you um, your teacher was it seventh grade? You said. Um, yes. Did you ha have you had contact years later with that teacher and ever got to say look look where it got me? <laughs> what's, uh, what's unfortunate, Greg, is I wish I had a great ending to this story for you. I. I probably have never told this teacher that impact that he had on me. Yeah. And maybe now that you have told me this, there's a way via Facebook that I could track him down. I, I have, I, I'm going to save myself here a little bit. <laughs> I did have a journalism teacher in high school who I have maintained a relationship with and oh, we nice. talk all the time. And he's remained a mentor for me. And both those books that you mentioned when they came out, I, he was one of the first people that I, I signed and sent a book to him, but I should track down the seventh grade teacher because it was, it was a five minute conversation, but the fact yeah. that I'm still talking about it 40 something years later shows you how impactful it was. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is so cool. I love, you know, like I have, was saying that, you know, I, I love the stories behind things like baseball. Granted, I love the game. I love everything going on in the game, but there's so many backstories, which, through your career, you must have like a million of stories, but that's one of the things I really love that comes out about it because I feel like you get to know the person, you know? So well, my, uh, my Fordham story, I'll give you a quick Fordham story. I told you sure. I, I went there to be a sports journalist, but I actually went to one baseball practice and Paul Blair, the former yeah. Yankee, yeah. former Baltimore Memorial yeah. gold glove outfielder, he was the coach at, at Fordham at that time. Oh, wow. And Fordham did not have its own baseball field, so you had to travel off campus to go to this workout. Okay. I'm a freshman. I'm trying to find my way. The practice took four and a half hours so that by the time I got back to campus, and this is 1983, <laughs> everything on campus was closed food-wise. Yeah. It was the Bronx in 1983. I'm sure I could have <laughs> a slice of pizza on Fordham Road. But yes. <laughs> I, I sat in my dorm room that night and I thought I could make this team. I was honest about my talent, uh -huh. but I would have been a backup. I would have been a bench guy. And I said, that just took four and a half hours. You're already behind the eight ball. You need to do well in school. I never went to another baseball practice. The next day I signed up for the radio station and the school newspaper. So oh, my, yeah. my career, my career interests became very serious at that point. Nice, nice. Yeah, um, I am familiar with Fordham a lot. Actually, when I was a kid, my um, my uncle went to Fordham, and um, we used to go and swim at the pool at the Lombardi Lombardi Center because he was an alumni there. So I know spent, that pool well. That's, that's very <laughs> funny. That's very interesting. Spent a lot of time there. Um, you did mention the books, and um, 
you obviously got to write these amazing two books with Derek Jeter and David Cohn. Um, I would love to know, because I, I have no idea of the process, um, but with, say, let's take Derek Jeter as an example. Is that something that you sit down in a room with Derek and he starts talking, you start writing, recording? Um, can you give us a little insight on what the, the book writing process is? Sure, Greg. In that situation, Jeter's agent contacted me. Mm-hmm. And I think because I was a New York Times writer who had covered Derek's whole career at that point, and he was only a few years into his career when that book came out. Yeah. I also knew his parents a little bit because I had traveled to Kalamazoo, Michigan once to do a story on Jeter's Turn 2 Foundation. I think his parents had a comfort level with me. Mm-hmm. Before we worked on that book, what I, what I tried to impress upon Derek to make this book successful, I, I knew the way Derek was with the media. And Derek was very careful and very cautious, and that served him well throughout his career. Yeah. I said, Derek, when we're working on this book, you have to view me as a co-author. You can't view me as the sports writer from the New York Times. You've got to let me in. You've got to mm-hmm. open up here and right. tell your story, or this book is not going to be as worthwhile as it should be. Derek nodded and agreed, and I think that he understood that. And throughout that process, I think that's what enabled us to write a book that I'm proud of. I'm not going to lie to you, Greg. There were a couple times where I would talk to Derek's sister, mother, father, best friend from high school, grandmother, and they'd tell me a story. Oh, yeah. And I'd go back to Derek, and I'd say, why didn't you tell me that? (laughs) Oh, it slipped my mind. I forgot about it. Oh, I didn't know you'd be interested in that one. So, yeah. It was, a, it was a very interesting and rewarding process. Derek was probably 25 or 26 years old. Yeah. So he still had a lot of career ahead of him. When you juxtapose that with doing the book with David Cohn, David's career is over. He's a guy in his 50s. He's very thoughtful about baseball. He's now an announcer. He was in a different stage in his life. Yeah. So the, the approach with David was a little more – I never really felt like I had to pull anything out of David Cohn. When we sat down to do interviews, the content was there. There were times with Derek where I'd have to say, could you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you mean uh, your parents grounded you when you were 15? Well, what did you do wrong? <laughs> so it was a little, more, a little more pulling information out of Derek, whereas with David, no pun intended, I felt as if he was an open book. There were even yeah. times <laughs> I would say to David, you're cool with me putting that in the book? And he said, yeah, yeah, you can use that. Nice, nice. That is, that is awesome. So let's switch gears for a second and get to the big topic of the day. What's going to happen with a 2020 season? And there's, you know, as you know, and probably more aware than anybody else about all these scenarios that they've thrown out there and Arizona League, a Grapefruit League, all this craziness. And now the other day they throw out there the, I don't even know what they called the plan, but it was like that localized uh, new divisions that they were starting. Um, What is your take on that? And what is your take on if you think a 2020 season is even going to happen? I've always been optimistic, Greg, that there would be a 2020 season in some form. Understandably, we all know we need to see the health and safety of our country back to a certain point before anyone can move forward with this. And that's why in answering your question, 
I think the most valuable thing I can tell you is what I've heard from some sources about what Major League Baseball is telling its organizations. They're telling them they're still considering numerous options. They're still trying to figure out a way that play can start again once the health conditions have improved. They're still concerned about the health and safety of the players, the team employees, potentially the fans, if the fans get involved in the mix here. And the idea that, well, they're going to do this Arizona plan. They're going to do this this three-tier plan, East, Central, West. They might do an Arizona-Florida plan. Greg, from what I've been told, they're still discussing all of these things. So for us to speculate and say, well, they're going to do this, or I hear they're going to do that, or this should be Mm -hmm. the best plan, I I almost feel a little irresponsible. I will say this. I think they're shooting for a 100-game season if – all the health mandates are in place and they feel as if they can go forward. I think that we could see it starting in late June, early July. And I think there's a hope and we got to get there that you would be able to allow teams to play some games in their own home stadiums. I think that's what all the teams would prefer, but I'm in New York and you've heard governor Andrew Cuomo talk about this, how he would like to see games at city field and Yankee stadium this summer. Right. The situation in New York is different than the situation in St. Louis or, or the situation in Colorado. So that's why MLB, I think, is, is trying to figure all this out as we go along. I used an analogy to a friend earlier when he was asking me about, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? I said, how do you think your friends are going to in, enjoy day five of their vacation to Paris? And he said, what are you talking about? So let's imagine you have friends taking a two-week vacation to Paris in July. How do you think they're going to enjoy day five? He said, well, I don't know. I said, well, that's my analogy. We don't know with baseball. (laughs) We just don't know yet. It's it's enticing to talk about, and it it makes sports talk radio go. Right. But I'm very cool with being patient and and letting the country get back to a position where we're closer to feeling that the numbers – are at a level where you can get back to opening up things. And do I want to see baseball? I absolutely do. But, but I want to see baseball when we know the country's ready for baseball. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. I like your analogy. That is a good one. That is a really, really good one. And, you know, speaking of this season and also what you guys are doing at Yes with the segment, Yes, We're Here, interviewing people. Love that. Love seeing all the others, uh, all the other uh, Yankee players uh, from from the past, definitely. Um, but one person you got interviewed uh, was famous now for all this, Dr. Fauci. And um, I saw the clips of that. That was really amazing interview. Um, how did you uh, what was the process of getting him on uh, uh, interviewed. How did you, how did you pull that one off? Greg, that was a process. And I'm glad you asked about that because there's probably a, a lesson for some journalism students in here. There, there was a lesson for me along the way, lessons. Yeah. When I first obviously started to follow the White House press conferences closely and, and we're all on the edge of our seats, you're, you're hoping for some good news. Dr. Fauci's approach to answering questions and his scientific way and his adherence to the facts 
were very appealing to me. So I just did a little research. I said, I don't really know who this gentleman is. And when I did some research, the, one of the feature articles pointed out that he grew up in Brooklyn, was a Yankee yep. fan. And I said, there's, there's my hook. <laughs> nice. I can get an interview with this gentleman. And I still have some contacts from my newspaper days at the New York Times. And I was able to get an email for Dr. Fauci. Wow. Which, not, which sounds great. And then I got a response in five minutes. And I, wow. I, I looked at my phone and I said, I can't believe he's responding. <laughs> well, it was one of those automatic responses. Oh. <laughs> that I, I can't answer emails right now because of the coronavirus. I'm very busy. So then I dug a little deeper and I was able to get some email addresses from members of his staff. And fortunately, mm-hmm. one member of his staff was nice enough to respond. And she said, yeah. And, I, and what I was looking for, Greg, was, was different than probably a writer from the Washington Post. Not probably. If you cover the White House or the Washington Post, you, you were looking for something different than I was. I pointed out yeah. that we're in New York where Dr. Fauci is from. New York is an area that was starting to believe it was going to be hit pretty hard. He's a Yankee yeah. fan. I'd like to ask him some of the science and some of the medical questions, but I'd also like to have a baseball conversation with him. Yeah. And the staffer responded that this was something that she thought could happen, but that I'd probably have to be patient. And I said, patience is fine with me. We'd be willing to do it anytime. And I want to say we had a dozen or 15 email exchanges back and forth where I would check in and I would just say, just checking in to see if there's been any movement, just checking in to see if we're any closer to making this happen. And then there was a moment where Dr. Fauci did a, he did a Snapchat interview and I wish I could remember the name of the journalist, but ESPN picked it up. And so I don't know. The gentleman was a freelancer for ESPN, or somehow ESPN got a little piece of this interview. So that allowed me to say, listen, I, I saw that ESPN ran a little bit of an interview with Dr. Fauci. Just as a reminder, Yes is the largest regional sports network in the country. Here's where we would play this interview. Yeah. We have over a million followers on social media. Our, our Yes Network shows outrate out primetime viewing uh, national shows during primetime viewing in New York. And that final email kind of pushed open the door. And they said, can you do this on a Monday, whatever that was, a Saturday, I think. I said, we absolutely yeah. can. And I, I've interviewed a lot of people in my career, Greg, and that, that's going to be up there high on the list, only yeah. because of where we are as a country, the role he has played for our country, and then the way the interview turned out. I was I was proud of the interview. I'm not going to lie to you. I was proud of the content that he gave us, the demeanor that he showed. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people who said it gave me a warm feeling to see him laugh, to see him talk <laughs> about baseball, because yeah. there's been a lot of sobering moments that he's had to walk to that podium and say right. X. Right. So I was very happy with the way that turned out, and, and my bosses at, at Yes were as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it from what I have seen, I, I loved it too, and and it really, um, you really brought out that side that you just talked about, and and made him a very, you know, I thought he was personable before that interview, but I feel like you brought that out even more. So that was that was really awesome. I loved it. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, 
you are a big music guy and I love, you know, this is, this is kind of what I was talking about in terms of stories, uh, like backstories of like players or anything, um, uh, anything unrelated to like what you deem them as like, you know, a baseball player, but they've got some sort of a hobby that you're like, wow, that's really interesting. At least I find that I find that I'm all about the stories. So your musical, uh, tastes are very, diverse and i really love seeing that you know i love your obviously i love your baseball reporting and analysis but i love seeing the music aspect because it's kind of like oh wow that's cool that's something different um how, what um i would love to just talk some music with you uh what are some of your influences on music and and are you the type of person who loves all type of music or are you like if you could focus on one type of music, that's what you really love. And um, I guess that goes, it could also go hand in hand with how the Yes Network is having you do a music playlist. Right, that was even a little surprise to me when they asked me to do that. I said, oh, yeah. are you sure you think someone cares what I'm listening to? And they said, absolutely. So I've done a few playlists that they've posted on social media. Greg, yeah. I've always been a, a seeker musically. I don't want to mm -hmm. just listen to top 40. I just don't want to listen to what yeah. was on the radio. I want to seek out bands and genres and music that maybe aren't what everybody else is listening mm -hmm. to. Nice. Don't get me wrong. I grew up in New Jersey. I, I love Bruce Springsteen, and I always will. And he was one of the earliest musical people that I, I revered. But I mentioned my brother before about baseball. I was influenced yeah. by his music tastes as well. So when I have an older brother who's listening to Elvis Costello and The Clash and The Jam yeah. and The Ramones and Blondie, mm -hmm. that, that's my wheelhouse. I, I'm in the new wave yeah. punk wheelhouse, Depeche Mode, New Order. And I carried, I carried that all, all through the late 70s and the 80s. And I guess nowadays I've tried to keep up on music. And if you're, if you're looking at the Sirius XM dial, first wave is probably where I would choose first to get uh -huh. some of the bands I just okay. mentioned. But yeah. then I would go to Alt Nation because I, I feel that the music I yeah. listened to in the 80s, Alt Nation is for the 20-somethings today, if they're listening to the 1975 or, or bands like that, that, that's who I would have been listening to if I was in college right now. But I, I want to listen to all music. Several years ago... Uh, my wife and I go to the Caribbean island, St. Kitts, a lot. And one mm -hmm. of our bartender friends there said to me, you got to listen to this reggae artist, Chronix. He said, this guy on the island, we think he's closer to Bob Marley than Bob Marley's own kid. <laughs> well, I listen to Chronix now, and he's one of my favorite artists. I, I probably, nice. I don't go a day where I don't listen to some music from Chronix because I, the music is so uplifting. It's so socially conscious. So, yeah, I'm a big music guy. I'm much more likely to listen to music five hours a day than I am to watch TV five hours a day. Yeah, nice, nice. And I'm going to have to check that out. Um, when you, it's Chronics, do you spell that C-H-R-O-N-I-C-S? C-H-R-O-N-I-double-X. Oh, double X. All right. And his father was a reggae performer who was called Chronicle. So when he was coming up in the business, they started to call him Little Chronicle, and then it oh, just became Chronics. Nice. So that's, that's how he got his nickname. And I, you talk about getting the chance to do different things in your career. 
I had a web show at Yes called JCTV. It still exists. I haven't done many interviews in that forum in a while. But I, I had the chance to interview Chronix because he was doing a show. Oh, in no way. And I talked to my producer and I said, listen, there's not necessarily a baseball aspect to this. Yeah. But this guy is such a cool guy with a cool message. We should really interview him. And as a, a token of my appreciation, I brought a Yankee cap for Chronix. And I, <laughs> nice. you're guessing it's somebody's hat size, right? So I got a seven and three quarters. <laughs> Because of the dreads, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he couldn't get the cap over his dreads. He needed, he probably needed an eight. But he was such a cool dude. He did the interview with the cap kind of resting on the top of his dreads. Oh, that's awesome! That is awesome. I got to check that out. Um, you know, one one thing I really liked um, on that last playlist I saw of yes. Um, if anyone listens to the show, they know I am a huge Pearl Jam fan. Uh, Eddie Vedder's like the greatest musician in the world to me. But you did have something off a of gigaton, uh, which was Dance of, the Clair- Dance of the Clairvoyance, which is a great song. So I was like, oh, nice, Jack. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you, let me ask you, Greg, when you hear that song, and I haven't, I've listened to the album. I don't know it, I'm sure, as in-depthly as you. When yeah. You hear, if you listen to that Dance of the Clairvoyance song, yep. is there a band that you think of when you hear that song? Uh, Talking Heads, yes, definitely. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> when I heard that song, and I yeah. know it's Eddie Vedder, I said, this sounds to me like Eddie Vedder, and I don't mean this as a diss, it's like Eddie Vedder's doing a David Byrne impersonation here, and the more I heard it, I, I really, really liked that song, and I don't know if Die in the, Died in the Wool Pearl Jam fans, if they would like that song as much as I did, but yeah. I, I love the way that song came out. Yeah, I, I do too, and that was the first one they released off of Gigaton, and um, I'm in a lot of... of uh, Pearl Jam groups and, uh, you know, it, uh, Gigaton's been getting mixed, uh, message, you know, mixed, um, uh, uh, feelings from people about it, but I loved it. I, I thought it was really good. They, they did a lot of, uh, experimenting on this album and, uh, yeah. And like you said, that, that, uh, talking heads influence to it, um, or, or as you said, David Byrne impersonation is, uh, is spot on. Yes. So wait, so, I got I to yep. have to issue with this. You say you love stories. You want to hear my Eddie Vedder story. Oh, you know what? I was going to actually tell you, I, I would love to, and I was going to try and make an agreement with you that if you ever got to interview him, that you would allow me to like carry your bags for it or something. <laughs> well, but, I, I will tell you, we're trying to get him right now. In fact, I'm not really? sure if we're going to succeed. But I have a story that doesn't necessarily revolve around an interview, but is one of the coolest stories I could ever share with you. Yeah. Uh, I'll try and keep it short because it could probably take 10 minutes. I'll try and keep it. (laughs) Do whatever you take, however much time you need, Jack. So 9-11, obviously an awful, awful time in our lives, in our history. A couple of weeks later, I'm at Yankee Stadium and you've mentioned the Jeter book. And one of the gentlemen who works for the Yankees in PR came up to me and said, there's a young girl here with her mom and her sister, and her dad was one of the pilots of the planes that were hijacked and oh, wow. crashed into the World Trade Center. I said, oh, my gosh. And he said, the girl asked to meet three people, Derek Jeter, Joe Torre, and you, because you wrote the Derek Jeter book. Nice. And I said, are you serious? And the guy said, yeah, she's, she's 10 years old. She'd like to meet you. Now, what do, you, what do you say to a kid at that point? So Oof. in my mind, I just decided I'm going, to, 
I'm just going to smother this girl with kindness and tell her as yeah. many Derek Jeter stories as I can. Yeah. Her name is Brielle Saracini, by the way. Well, we end up becoming little buddies, pen pals, friends. Yeah. Fast forward to Brielle gets an internship at the Yes Network. Brielle <laughs> starts working for us at the Yes Network. Wow. Brielle is getting married. Brielle is marrying a young man who lost his father in 9-11. Wow. Sean's dad was in the building that Brielle's father's plane hit. Oh, my goodness. So put all that together. One day at work, I'm talking to Brielle, and she seemed kind of down. I said, what's, what's going on? You don't, you don't seem yourself. She said, I want to give Sean a special wedding gift, and I want Eddie Vedder to write out the lyrics to oh. a song. Oh, my goodness. But I have no way of getting in touch with Eddie Vedder. So I said, I would never do this. I never kind of crossed the line. But I know Theo Epstein a little bit. And I know Theo yeah. and Eddie Vedder are close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I send Theo this pleading email. And he said, I'm making no promises. But knowing Eddie, I can't imagine that he, he wouldn't do this. Yeah. Time goes by. We're not getting a response. Her wedding's about two weeks away. I, I email Eddie Vedder. And I said, listen, I mean, I emailed Theo. I said, listen, I don't want to push. But their wedding is in two weeks. Do you know if yeah. this is going to come through? And Theo said, I talked to Eddie. He will do it. You're probably not going to have it by the wedding. So I, and Brielle was happy with that. At least you know it's yeah. coming. Yeah. So, Greg, the day she's getting married, she's getting married in Austin, Texas. I mm -hmm. went out for a run. My wife and I were, at the, were in Austin for the wedding. Yeah. I had my phone with me, and it rings, and it's Brielle. This is the day of her wedding. I said, what's up? What's yeah. up? Is everything all right? She said, I just got a text from Eddie Vedder. He's oh, wishing me and Sean the best of luck. He, he, he couldn't have been nicer. And then they had a conversation. Wow. And her day was made, right? It, was, it couldn't have been more perfect. Said he was going to do the lyrics. It's, it, it's a wonderful story. Well, that night, he happened to be playing a solo show in California. Yeah. And he dedicated a song to them and oh, told them their goodness. story in front of this crowd. And then had his road crew immediately send a video of it to Brielle and Sean. Wow. So on the night of their wedding, here's Eddie Vedder toasting to them. And that's my story. And it's one of the greatest stories wow. I can tell because talk about him making two kids who experienced what none of us should have to experience yeah. in life feel pretty, pretty damn special on one of the most special days of their lives. Wow. Incredible. That is incredible. Wow. Jack, thanks for sharing that story. That is, that is just, man, it gives me chills as you were telling me that. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. And Brielle and Sean are obviously very close to me. And I, I love being able to tell that story. And I love that someone of, of Eddie Vedder's stature and magnitude recognized how special they were. And, and Theo Epstein was obviously pivotal in all this too, yeah. to yeah. do that favor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, maybe um, maybe uh, after we get off, we can discuss the terms on um, if you ever interview him. What I need to do to <laughs> carry your carry your microphone there. <laughs> I think Brielle would be beating you to that that role. Oh. He, he would probably be producing the interview if we did it. We'll oh see. my goodness, that's funny. All right, Jack. I know we are running out of time. I would love for us to just run through quickly our segment that we do. The Mario Five, our producer mm -hmm. Mario, gives me a word, and you're going to jump in on it with us um, and make the connection. 
to the Yankees within five moves. So, without further ado, the first word, Mario, is question. Question. So, Jack, do you want me to go first and kind of show you my you go first. process? I want to see how this game plays out. Okay. So, this one to me is, is easy when he, you know, question. You know, the first thing I think of is obviously what we're doing here and question. You interview so many top uh, sports people and outside of sports, as we just found out. Um, so I would say question is, goes to interview, which is Jack Curry, one of the best in the business. So that one's an easy one. Sometimes, I'm, sometimes it's a little convoluted and I have to make these crazy. Well, that's, that, 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 that's, you, you've succeeded. That was a connection <laughs> you got to the Yankees. That was, yeah, that was an easy one. That was, that an, easy was one. an easy one. All right. The next word, buck. B-U-C-K. Oh uh, this God. is an easy one for me. Mario, I'm that's so sure easy. For you. I talked to this guy two days ago, Showalter. <laughs> right, exactly. There you go. Showalter. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's jet, you know, he might be throwing us, he might be throwing us meatballs on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Buck, speaking of Buck Showalter, I, I, I was always a Buck Showalter fan when he was managing the Yankees. And then I became even a bigger fan when he was on the Yes Network last year. Um, I, love, I love having him in the studio yeah. with us, Greg. He sees things during games that 99% of the people who watch a game don't see. And yeah. his, his yeah. knowledge of baseball is just, it's at a genius level. Yeah. Yeah. He is really fun to listen to uh, and watch on the, on the games. I, I was hoping that he would be back in some capacity on the Yes Network this year yeah, he will uh, we'll see him again when, when we get drinking yeah. again and then hopefully that'll be soon uh, you, nice. you'll see buck again. nice that is awesome all right the next word infinite infinite hmm this is see this is one of those ones i would have to start really thinking outside of the box uh and get crazy hmm infinite this is a, a tricky one. one. This Mario's, is a, this, turned up the, he's, uh, he made a, a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> Infinite. Um, well, you know what? I this is this is this is my crazy um, brain working. I would when I see infinite, um, you know, I for some reason to infinity and beyond the the uh, Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story came mm -hmm. into my head, um, which was a. Okay, this, see, this is gonna be, this is gonna be really crazy. It was, which was a cartoon. And do you remember one of the, my, my most iconic cartoons that I used to love is the episode of Bugs Bunny when he's playing baseball. Do you remember when he was playing every position? <laughs> that, was, that was really comical to me. So there you go. Then I would have made the connection to baseball and obviously, that's pretty Thank good. I, I like the path, <laughs> the path you took there. That's pretty good. See, that's a, it's a crazy way my mind works. <laughs> good stuff. All right. Next word. Suffer. Ooh, suffer. Suffer. Hmm. I've, I've, got a, I've got a connection. Let's, let's see what you do with this one, Jack. Uh, I'm trying to I, – I, I have to think that – I mean, when I, when I think suffer, I – I think of a team, like for me, it, it's, everything's going to be baseball. When I think yeah. suffer, I, I think of something collapsing. So something not going well for you. So I would go suffer to collapse. And then I would say collapse. What is something that fell apart? 
We were just talking about Buck Showalter. I think of the 95 division series. The Yankees are up 2-0 against the Mariners. They think they're, they're moving on, and, and they lose in five games. Did I cheat yes. on the moves there? Can I go somewhere? No. And then collapse no. reminds me of baseball postseasons, and, yeah, then it would be the 95. That was, that was perfect. Jack, that was that was amazing. I was I was as we were starting to think of it. That was great. That was that was fantastic. There, there's kind of no rules as long as it's the connections don't go uh, like more than five. But what I was thinking about uh, suffer was how Clint Frazier was suffering from um, the concussion symptoms, you know. And I felt really bad for him because I felt like he could have had a shot. Uh, because the Yankees had so many injuries and how he, you know, could have possibly played himself um, into uh, uh, the, the lineup that year. And I felt really bad because I, thankfully, I've never had a concussion, but from all of the indications, it's just horrible dealing with it. Um, did you, during that time period, did you get to talk to, to Clint Frazier and discuss that? I talked to Clint this spring and, and that came up. And he's, he's not an excuse maker, but he did talk about how that, that hovers over you. It's, it's easy to say concussion. It's not so easy to say brain injury. And that's yeah. what a concussion yeah. is. Mm-hmm. I've had one, and I'm not a professional oh, really? athlete. But when you have one and your brain is foggy and, and your, your eyesight is, is fuzzy and you're feeling hazy and you're not feeling like yourself, I've heard some people describe it. I'm not trying to be funny or make light of it. I've heard some people describe it as a hangover without having ever had one sip of alcohol. Right. So you're, right. But you're absolutely right in that poor Clint has that injury happen at a time where he definitely would have gotten some at-bats. So. But in talking to him this spring, I, I thought he was ready for 2020. And, yeah. and I think you're going to see a guy in a different place and a guy who, who could be a producer for the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I was, I was, uh, I was a fan of his. Although I gotta say, um, my, uh, me and my wife have a son, and he's a redhead. So when Clint Frazier came up with the red hair, I was very partial to him right off hey, the bat. Great. <laughs> great. Can I uh, do one more word and sign off? I've got to run. Absolutely, and- absolutely. Last word. The last word, uh, Mario. Come on, this is a classy show, and you're gonna give Jack this one buttocks. Buttocks. <laughs> Well, that, that is actually kind of easy because I would just say the, the buttocks are, are connected to the legs. And yes. whenever, you're, I, whenever I talk to David Cohn, he would talk about your lower half and how so much of your power as a pitcher comes from your legs. Nice. Nice. Yeah, so I would go buttocks, legs, pitching motion, and, and a pitcher like David Cohn, how much he used his lower half. Nice. That is a great one to wrap up. Well, Jack – Again, thank you, thank you, thank you. This was amazing. Loved it. Uh, really appreciate it. One last question, though, uh, because he was my favorite all-time player, um, Greg Nettles. Love Greg Nettles. Have you ever met him? Or I have met him. him. Uh, he was a Yankee coach when I was covering the team. There was oh, yeah, that's right. the Yankee coaches. And uh, terrific defensive player. I mean, you watch some of those plays he made in those Yankee postseason games. Yeah, I don't know how you. I don't know how you have the reaction to make those plays. It's it's called the hot corner for a reason. But Nettles, yeah. phenomenal defensive player. Yeah, yeah. I spell my name G R E G, and when I was a kid, I wore number nine and wanted to change my name to G R A I G, like his. So <laughs> <There you go. laughs> that's how much of an influence. But Jack, thanks again. Really, really appreciate your time. Um, 
love you on the Yes Network uh, and love you on what you guys are doing now with Yes, We're Here. Um, anything you want to sign off with? No, Greg, just hang in there. You and your family will do the same at this end. And yes, I, I hope and pray that everybody gets through this. It's been a hard thing for our country to have to deal with, but let's stay safe. Let's stay yeah. positive. Let's stay together. And, and hopefully we can all come out on the other side of this. Perfect. All right. Great. Thanks a lot, Jack. Really appreciate it. Talk Thanks to you for soon. having me on, Greg. I'll Bye. talk to you soon. Bye.